Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Derek, the CTO at TrendTech, and we discuss effective ways to grow and mentor your direct reports, the evolution of the CTO role, and how TrendTech is making use of an innovation portal to get closer to their customers. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. kids do you have one in 15 yeah what what technology what are they into at 15 so in school officially um has taken courses in python is currently in a course in java um and he independently on his own i've provided him some guidance and assistance um has just submitted a patent um to the u.s patent office around some technologies related to sports um, which is kind of exciting. I can't talk about it until until uh, we get that official acceptance from the, uh, the the patent office to put it in patent pending. But uh, yeah, nice. he's got a pretty inquisitive little mind. He's a, he's a good athlete. Um, is a part of that as well. Um, kicker for a football team that just won state and uh, plays baseball and soccer. Nice man, active guy, right? Jeez. Yeah. Does he get that productivity or that drive from you or? I, I would say he's a combination of my wife and I. My wife is an executive um, as well, and she is uh, she's definitely got a a um, element of productivity about her, but she's also got a very calm uh, demeanor, which uh, he has. And if you can imagine being a place kicker on a football team, um, being calm is what it's all about, and uh, that's uh, that served him well. That's a powerful combination. Now, did you get involved in technology when you were younger? Like, what age did you get into it? Yeah, so 11 years of age. Um, 11 years of age, getting hold of a computer was not as easy, anywhere near as easy as it is today. Um, began programming in basic C and assembly um, and just fell in love with it. And it's been literally um, a part of who I am ever since then. So you fall in love with programming and then did you have like formal education? Where do you go from there? Yeah, so um, it, it was really an interesting road. So at the time, um, I went to the University of Texas um, at Austin, and at the time, their programs were very much geared, which is, is ironic for, for the industry I work in today, but their, their programs were very much geared um, towards financial services and accounting, which was um, pretty much a track of COBOL and mainframes. And the world had already changed significantly at the time that I went to university, which was in the late 80s, beginning of the early 90s. So I actually took a track of liberal arts, which freed me up to do the technology electives that I wanted to, um, and also uh, allowed me access to labs and, and computing resources. Um, actually sold my car, I want to say, my sophomore year um, in college to uh, buy a Mac SE30, and the, and the SE30 signification means it had a math coprocessor. And uh, um, my mom told me, point blank, you're crazy. And uh, it, it, once again, it, it proved out to be a good decision and uh, um, went ahead and finished that liberal arts degree um, with some good computing skills, um, came out as a programmer um, in the financial services industry for two years, um, learned a ton about business, about leadership, as well as technology, and returned on a scholarship to the University of Miami, where out of the School of Business, of all places, there were two telecommunications programs in the United States at the graduate level, one was in a school of engineering and the other was in a school of business. Um, that plus the fact I got a full scholarship took me to the University of Miami, 
um, to finish out that business degree with a focus in telecommunications. And that's where we kind of added the infrastructure uh, component to this. And, and shortly after graduating in 92 and a half, no, it was actually 93. Um, yeah, the internet took off and, and it's all been uh, kind of a blur since. I'm curious about accounting because I have a background in financial services, but for financial advisors, um, you know, th- things like uh, life insurance policies, annuities, those types of things, uh, retirement planning. I was in that space for quite a while, but I saw that Trend Tech, you guys are like modernizing accounting. And is it seems like there'd be a lot of opportunities for automation. Are you guys doing like really interesting things over there? Yeah. So just to give you a, a, a quick background on TrendTech. So, so first of all, we're a company that not only pioneered, but we're a market leader in what we call uh, cloud financial services, close software and solutions. And um, we have two flagship products. One is called Cadency, which really focuses on large enterprises. And the characteristic that a large enterprise has in the financial function is they tend to have a large number of, of transactions um, to deal with, and we'll talk about what a, what a reconciliation of a transaction looks like here in a moment. But the second is their backends are complex. They tend to have multiple enterprise resource planning systems or ERPs. Um, they tend to be global um, and, and have uh, very diverse businesses. So Cadency is our, our financial closed solution that focuses on that complex, high-volume customer. On the flip side, really exciting area of our business is ADRA. Um, ADRA is our mid-market solution. And why it's fun as a technologist is it's geared at harnessing all of the financial close power and functionality that we offer um, to the larger enterprises, but really focus on simplicity, which means ease of implementation, um, being able to get it up in, in, in hours, if not just a few days, um, recognizing ROI in the first month of usage, and having users that can kind of intuitively work their way through the system and, and, and derive value. So that's what TrendTech does. The interesting thing about the company is, is we, we are actually um, almost 30 years old. We've got um, global origins. We are a global company, um, offices in North America, Europe, and Asia. But we got our start in Dublin, Ireland, loosely associated with, uh, with Trinity University, hence the Trend and TrendTech. And our original innovations were around commerce transactions which led to e-commerce transactions. And we kind of came to the realization that when you have a lot of front-end transactions that need to be matched up to a statement. So for example, imagine an online um, retailer or an e-commerce system today that might have 100,000 credit card transactions in a given month. How do you reconcile those back to a credit card statement? How do you reconcile those back to a bank statement to say that we actually took in all this money and got it in the right buckets in the right places, including refunds and split transactions and all kinds of other things? Yeah, I have a Terry who does that and she asked me lots of questions. <laughs> well, so accounting, um, accounting is a fascinating industry. I don't come from an accounting industry, uh, accounting background. I do have a little anecdotal story I'll tell you here in a second. But if you think about the fundamentals of accounting, it really hasn't changed um, over the decades, but the complexities of our business world, right? The, the variety of payment rails, um, how we transact, um, the speed at which those transactions take place have, have drastically changed. And what it has done to the Office of Finance is, is, is put the Office of Finance into, into kind of a ratio mix of 75% of their time being focused on the yesterday, um, making sense of what happened yesterday, whether it be closing out this month's books, this quarter's books, or even this, this fiscal year's books, and, and understanding that. And with all of those transactions and the requirements of getting 
um, uh, uh, those transactions reconciled and, and, and getting the balance sheet um, in a proper stating and, and, and getting the journal entries and everything that they've got to do to, to make the books work out and make the numbers work is a ton of work. And our goal at TrendTech is to flip that and say, if we can use automation, if we can use technology, if we can use the business knowledge that you've already created um, over months and quarters and years of, of accounting work to have automation do that for you and give you back 75% of your time, what can you as a bright mind do by analyzing the business and, and looking forward um, into the challenges the businesses might face in these really dynamic economies, um, you know, in, in light of the uh, innovation that's taking place today, how can you be a, a, a forward-thinking financial asset uh, versus kind of being mired um, in, in the drudgery task of the past? No, we have similar minds, I, I think. And we're on the same page here, my friend. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious, though, Adra, uh, that sounds like a cool name. Um, sounds very modern and uh, reminds me of Ad Astra. But how did you come up with it? Yeah, so we actually acquired the Adra business unit um, uh, out of Europe. It was a uh, company based in Norway, and we still have that leadership um, intact. And in fact, my uh, my leaders who work on on uh, not only the engineering of that product but also operating that product um, are based in in uh, uh, Norway today. Um, yeah, it is. It's a cool name. They've got cool graphics that were originally associated with it. Um, if you've ever been to, to Oslo, Norway, and, and know kind of the coolness of that city, um, as soon as you hop off the train, the offices are in walking distance, and you can see the logo up on the building, and you walk in, and, and uh, yeah, there's there's this coolness all about it. But what is really um, uh, rewarding about that solution set is they have built that um, using some really great technologies, continue to evolve it. Um, and so as a user, when you hop into the system and, and begin to do your, your, your work, um, there's kind of a funness about it. And uh, we've gotten great feedback from our, from our users in terms of the usability, and we continue to invest in that um, and evolve it. You're super sharp. You speak very well. I, I like you a lot as, as a person. I'm curious, do you have any like mentors or like how did you progress yourself in your career? Yeah, so um, I think we all kind of land in our career in, in kind of a blind way and, and get uh, um, introduced to a variety of business situations. And I was fortunate when I came out of uh, the University of Texas, um, I worked for a guy, I'll call him out by name, his name was Ben Wills, um, one of the best leaders I've ever reported to. And, and Ben was the guy who, um, you know, taught me some of the, some of the general guidance as a, as a leader, how to deal um, with failing fast how to deal with challenging situations, how to lead people along, use communication as a tool. Um, I'll never forget there was a, you know, we were, we were in um, the back-end processing of, of the U.S. mortgage uh, business. And so um, there, was a, there was a lot of opportunity for you to harness computing power and get rid of paper. And I'll never forget one day I was 22 years old and he sent me to go meet with an SDP in another part of the business. And he said, hey, I need you to go explain to him what we're doing, what the business value is, the benefit to the company and what it's going to do to us from a revenue perspective and try to lead him along. And I looked at my, my boss who was, 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 was senior to this guy and said, well, why do I have to go explain that to him? Can't we just go tell him this is what we're going to do? He said we could, but he's not going to be a part of the team then. He's probably going to fight you on it, and, and I need to build this team across the organization, and I need success here. And I can tell you that lesson alone um, I use on a daily uh, basis. In, in, in my current job, I've used it in every job since then. So, yeah, Ben, uh, 
Ben introduced me to uh, other inspirational sources, such as he gave me my first Michael Lewis book, uh, Liar's Poker, which was about the mortgage industry, and it came full circle um, uh, with the big short. Um, obviously, Lewis has, has written a ton of great books uh, in between those. And uh, um, yeah, he just opened my eyes to the world of business and the impact that technology could have on business. So as a CTO, like, how do you see the role has evolved or how do you see it continually evolving? Yeah, so, so the CTO role can be a nebulous one. Um, if you were to go out to an Indeed or a LinkedIn today and look at postings for a chief technology officer, it could range anywhere from a very hands-on person that is side-by-side coding with developers um, uh, to all the way to, to a, a position like we um, have structured the position here at TrendTech. Um, which is a leadership role. And so at Trentech, as a part of the executive leadership team, I've got uh, end-to-end responsibility for our software engineering um, uh, capacity, both in large enterprise and mid-market, as well as our SaaS operations in both our private and public cloud um, operating environments. InfoSec is a part of the responsibility as well, and I've got a really, really competent and, and, and progressive InfoSec team um, uh, that reports to me as well as is our internal IT function. And I think each one of those areas is evolving so dynamically that a CTO today um, to be successful needs to, and, I, and I'll borrow kind of a, 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 of some um, guidance from a chapter in a book by uh, a woman named Shannon Waller. It's called the Team Success Handbook. And she really talks about like who we are, right? Is, is kind of three things. One, your CV or your resume of the past, it's going to um, have all the great things that you've done. And yes, it's a fact that I worked for Microsoft for a decade. And yes, it's a fact that I've worked in uh, a 12 million end user SaaS solution based out of Silicon Valley. But those are really just kind of tools on the shelf. And if you are building who you are based on that past, um, that's not the right way to look at it. As a leader and as a CTO, you really need to be focused on two things. Is one, can you hire and retain and guide leadership and individual contributors underneath you. And the key is guide, not micromanage, not do their job for them, but guide them to success in the goals that you set out with um, as a business, right? And the second aspect of that is if you look at when things get rough, when we get into uncertain waters, can you pull those tools off the shelf to help provide confidence and even more prescriptive guidance to steer an organization through it? And I think that that is key and I think that any CTO stepping into the position today probably needs to check the, check the what I've done from the past attitude at the door and treat it more like a tool chest and realize if you have more tools on the, on the shelf, right, any job is easier with the right tool, you'll be able to leverage those. But come in with an open mind, come in and listen more than you speak um, and work with, with, with your teams and build the right teams to come up with a strategy that works for what you need to accomplish as a business. The technology trends, the way that we organize um, and, and deliver software, um, the way that we operate, regulatory compliance and infosec uh, requirements are, be, are, are so rapidly changing that you can't come in with a cookie cutter, cutter approach and say, yeah, this is gonna work. This worked for me in the last two jobs. Let's do it here, it'll work here. It'll never work. As you're mentioning building teams and people, what are some of the, the traits that you look for as you're building teams? Yeah, so, so first and foremost, I am looking for um, leaders that can do a couple of things. One is good communication skills, and the number one aspect of good communication skills is listening skills, and we look hard for that um, in any kind of interaction we have 
um, including formal interviewing. And I think it's really important. The second is, is it at the end of the day, um, technology is what we do. And there are certainly a variety of roles inside of a software company that are more business focused and less about the technology. And some of those are becoming just, just even more important than the technology themselves, um, which is great. But if you want to be in a technology, well, you kind of have to have a fire in the belly and, and some sort of acumen for technology. And if it's not the kind of thing that keeps you up at night, um, if the books on your shelves don't lend to technology, if when you take a little downtime and want to do a little uh, extra reading, um, if those aren't involving technologies or you don't gravitate towards that, um, you know, it might not be the right role for you. So we, we really look for that. We want passionate people. We want smart people. Um, and we want good, great communicators. I love it. This is great. Uh, I'm just, I, I get excited when people like I get to interview so many different people and some people are, it's, it's rare, but they're like you and they have like just great answers and they're, they're succinct and they're articulate and you can just tell that they're incredibly professional. And then I'm always like, man, I need, I need like deeper questions. <laughs> no, but this is absolute, absolute pleasure. Well, no, I'm appreciating the dialogue myself. Uh, yeah, don't give me any deeper questions. I, 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 I might change the perception of me. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what you're pumped up for for 2020. We just had the new year. What What are you really excited about this year? Yeah, so so um, there's there's a ton at, at Trend Tech that I'm excited about, um, and there's a ton in the industry. And, and before I go into that, I kind of want to level set a view I have on innovation. We are um, in an era where because of technology, because of past investments in technology, the ability to innovate is becoming easier. Um, it's become we're having shorter innovation cycles. We're able to see the return on investment from innovation um, faster than I think I've ever seen in my career. It's a great thing. It's also a dangerous thing as well um, uh, because at the end of the day, innovation needs to be not just about wow to you who innovated it, but it needs to be wow to, to somebody in, in our case, we're B2B software. Yeah, it needs to be wow to our end users, to our end customers, and we need to be changing businesses um, for the better uh, in a way that, that our end users are actually doing that versus uh, us uh, saying, hey, you're doing it all wrong. Let's go do it a different way um, and, and, and trying to uh, fix what isn't broken through technology. So with that said, um, there are a couple of big themes um, that I see out there. One um, is, is we've been talking data um, since the beginning of time. We've looked at data um, in hierarchical databases, relational databases, unstructured data, and um, it's all been a great evolution. It's all been a great conversation, but we finally got the computing horsepower and through both the uh, commercial software investments as well as the open source communities, we finally have what we need to derive value from big data. And so if you think about a company like Trendtech that is in the middle of um, you know, the financial transactions of each one of our customers, we um, uh, have the ability for our customers. We don't like aggregate data um, or anonymize data or try to do anything from a data perspective that would um, uh, be combining multiple customers' uh, data for value. We've got enough data in any one individual customer to work with them and provide that data back to them to, first and foremost, help them be more efficient with their financial close process. But the second is, is our ability to detect anomalies 
in the system, whether something's changed, whether uh, a vendor has misbuilt something, whether um, we're treating this differently than we had in the past, or whether there might be an element of fraud in there. Um, that power is here and it's now. And so I'm really excited about data and what we can do with data. If you take that data and then introduce artificial intelligence to it and be able to look for um, uh, trends across financial data inside of a company, there's a lot that, that we can do to partner with our customers. Um, and we're doing that in both um, our roadmaps for Adra as well as our Cadency Large Enterprise solution. So we're really excited about that. Last, um, automation is key. So if you think about that flip from 75% um, of your time going through matching things up and posting things and making the books right to flipping that to 25% doing that and 75% analysis and strategic work, Automation is your friend, um, and with uh, not only the, the investments in, in bots and, and um, uh, automation technologies that you're seeing just become horizontal mainstream in the market today, but when you combine that with our view um, on, on AI and risk intelligence, that makes for a really powerful solution. So you will see um, uh, Trendtech is a leader in, in risk uh, intelligent robotics and, and how we apply that to the financial close process and make businesses better, make them more effective, make them more accurate, make their closes quicker, and, and most importantly, um, enable those great minds in the Department of Finance uh, to do even more strategic work um, and, and, and further improve their businesses. Yeah, and you can gain a lot of insights by spending time with your customers. Do you personally spend time with some of your top customers? So I personally have always been a very customer-centric person. Um, and I, I was raised that way um, as a kid. Well, I think one of the great matches um, that I found was this is a very, very customer-centric uh, company. Um, I've got a, a, a peer um, in product management. His name is Michael Ross, um, a great product management leader. And um, we, we really um, uh, rely on a fact base. We rely on customer input, customer-led innovation, and kind of subscribe to that, that, that nothing important really happens inside of these four walls. You've got to get outside these four walls um, to understand how to make our product better and how to better serve our customers. So, for example, we have in the address space, we, we launched um, shortly after acquiring the company an innovation portal where our customers um, are able to submit their ideas on how to make the product better. And one of the fun things in the, in the SaaS software business is even if a customer submits something that is a tactical, maybe incremental change to what you're doing, it can spark ideas from us, allow us to collaborate with them and say, hey, we hear you that you want to do A, but if A gets combined with B and C and you've got the option as to how you use that, you know, can we implement that um, in the SaaS system across a variety of, of use cases, a variety of customers, industries, um, locations, languages, et cetera. Um, to, to really make for some powerful innovation. Um, I think we've had 60 ideas submitted since its inception, and we, have, we haven't delivered upon them. Um, all of those are accounted for in our product roadmap in upcoming releases, which is really exciting. No, it's a great way to stay close to the customer. Do you have a specific, like, specific software that you like for that? Or? Um, I believe we use the AHA portal, which is kind of standard in uh, product management. I know in, in previous roles that I've had where I've actually owned uh, a portion of product management as well, we've, uh, we've used that. Um, but at the end of the day, I would say that, that listening to a customer is not technology-centric. It's more programmatic. And do you have the ability to build a fact base, right, based on what the industry data is showing, based on what your customers are saying? And, and sometimes that customer, uh, that that, that 
um, uh, amassing of the customer data isn't as pretty as saying, hey, I'm going to get on a plane and go take a customer out to, to the lunch and, and listen to them. It could be through win-loss data, right? So anytime we lose a customer, um, they decide to do something else, um, we follow up um, with win-loss data, um, specific interviews, and we're finding out what made your decision. And in many cases, there's a lot of value that we can, we can get from that and say, hey, we're actually losing deals because a customer had this perception um, or we're not strong enough in this area or it's a part of our, of our ecosystem that we just haven't focused on. And we need to invest in that. And that's, that's really important as well. Yeah, and I found it's almost never like entirely obvious. Like it's always something you didn't see, but once you see it, you're like, oh man, how can you, how can you not see that? Yeah. At least for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's super important. So I'll tell you a little anecdotal story. Um, I don't come from an accounting background, but I grew up in a house um, uh, with a father who um, was, for all intents, a manufacturer's rep, uh, a sales guy um, in the office, office products industry. And in the 70s, he took a look at the way accountants worked and found a flaw. Um, one is they tried to use a 12-inch ruler to navigate uh, ledger paper. And second, the double underlining process when they were in a hurry didn't always work out. And you couldn't tell whether it was a single underline or a double underline. So he invented a ruler um, that was metric based and it actually equivalented to, to 14 inches and some change that would traverse an entire side of a piece of ledger paper. And one side of the ruler had a squiggly line on it so that a single underline was a single underline, a squiggly underline was a double underline. Um, this took off in the U.S., when I got to the University of Texas, which had over 50,000 students, a really, really large and robust business school, big accounting program, it took about nine months for people to figure out that I was a kid on campus that actually had access to these rulers. Um, there were common requirements for internships with, at the time, was the big six. And there's an example of technology aside, looking at the accounting process, looking at how people work looking at their frustration and listening to them and saying, can I make you more accurate, right? It's clear what's a double underline versus a single underline. And can I make you faster at what you do? Can I make you be able to use a single line across the paper versus trying to move a ruler and going from line 43 to line 44 in the ledger and actually making a mistake on your numbers? And uh, innovation can be that easy. Um, obviously, accounting has changed. We don't use ledger paper anymore. Um, the wiggly green ruler, as it was branded, is uh, I've certainly got a, a few boxes in my house, but that's no longer um, how we do uh, uh, the financial close process. But but the themes haven't changed. We're still looking at how to make the accountant um, more productive, and uh, the best way to, to to figure that out is to sit with them, watch them work, and listen to uh, what their input is on on uh, on how to make their job better. Preach! Yeah, <laughs> I love it. How, how did you how did you meet Trendtech? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so um, it was it was uh, it was actually a, a, a unique story. Um, so I've been literally working since I was twelve years old. Um, cut lawns, um, uh, you know, worked during high school, worked during college, worked during graduate school, and um, was with a company um, based out of Silicon Valley that was acquired, and uh, spent three years with them. And, and the tail end of that was a part of an integration. Um, uh, that we were um, moving uh, functions, including my function, to, to the greater Atlanta area. And uh, we worked through that and uh, made that trans uh, transition happen and actually decided to uh, uh, take for the first time in my career um, a few months off. My wife, actually, um, she plays in, in uh, the private equity space, and she had just done a divestiture of a company and, and uh, was in a similar situation. So we decided to take the summer off. And, you know, just kind of getting a little bored a couple weeks into it, flipping through some email. 
and and I saw um, this mentioned Trentech, went to the website, and I thought Trentech, I know somebody from Trentech, um, and it turned out to be a father um, from uh, uh, my son's school. Our uh, kids are in the same grade. Uh, when they came to the school, he actually came to the Dallas area for Trentech, and we'd taken them out to breakfast just to get to know them. And uh, I said, Ah, I do know Trentech, and I gave him a call. Um, we went and had a coffee, sat and talked a little bit, and uh, I uh, said, You know what? I will. Uh, I'd, I'd like to meet the CEO. Uh, I'd like to talk to her. Her name is Teresa McIntosh. And I said, it'd be interesting to have a coffee. And, and my, my demeanor walking into it was, let's go have a coffee with Teresa and see how this goes. That coffee lasted two and a half hours. Um, I was almost late to a flight that I had to catch later that day. And I never forget calling up my wife and saying, you know, we kind of talked about uh, taking a few months off this summer, but the plans kind of changed because that was an awesome conversation. Um, and I want that job and, and, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a hiatus on the hiatus and, and, uh, went through the process and, and, uh, uh, lo and behold, uh, a couple of months later, I uh, joined the leadership team here and I, I will make another statement about Trentech that, that is sincere. When people ask you, you know, what was the kind of highlight of your career? Um, you know, in the software business as a technologist, high growth, exciting times. For me, it was in my mid-20s at Microsoft in the decade that I spent there. Um, it was a great time. Um, that answer has now changed. In fact, Teresa knows not to ask me that question because she knows it's right here. It's right now. It's Trend Tech. Um, we, are, we are just scratching the surface of, let's call it a set of processes and solutions that the majority of the world today runs with a complexity of Excel spreadsheets and um, business functionality that is built on reply all or forward inside of their inbox. And, and what Trendtech has done to revolutionize that um, is not only really exciting and we've got a ton of work left to do, but uh, it's also exciting to be kind of in that, that uh, infancy of, of what we're doing um, uh, uh, in the industry and, and, and the ability to change the industry as much as we are. So yeah, um, couldn't be more excited than to, than to be here at Trendtech and be in the industry in this timing. No, oh, man, you got me excited. I, I want to help you out. So who is the customer? Like who buys the product? Yeah. So in the, in the office of finance, right. Um, you have got departments of, of people who are responsible for the financial close process. Um, and finances is, is, is generally divided into, um, what I would call kind of the, the FPNA side, right? Those who are, are dealing with the, with the daily, monthly and, and, and quarterly financials, um, and then the controlling and accounting side. And so depending on how those departments are structured, it could be one, um, it could be both of those, um, that are utilizing the product. Um, but, but if, if you think about any tool that is a collaboration tool that is a pure end-to-end -end solve, you're going to have end users whose jobs um, could be just a specific part of a specific number of accounts, um, a specific limits to approvals, and that um, gets tied together um, with their peers, whether they be in the same office, different parts of the world, different divisions, and rolls up into um, uh, you know, financial leadership uh, that will generally sign off on the books. And, and to close a period and close and, and certify the accuracy, um, you know, of, of that financial output. So there's a variety of users. We have customers who have upwards of 700 to a thousand to, to 2000 users of our product inside of a single company. So it's, it's that broad. So if I'm like CTO co-founder and you know, we're growing, maybe we've got, uh, you know, anywhere from a hundred to like 2000 people, and what would I just like 
tell my CFO, hey, take a look at this. It looks like it could help us automate some of our transaction data or? Yes. So, um, you know, it, it depends on what, what space that, that you're in. But so, for example, in a mid-market company, which Adra is, is just a great solve for that. Um, you know, I, I think the conversation is, um, you know, how, what is our financial close process and what, what, are the, what are the pain points in that? And literally, if you go to trendtech.com, first page is going to ask you, are you mid-market or, or large enterprise? And we have got some great walkthrough videos that talk about the kind of solution space. And so, you know, what are the typical problems that, that um, the Department of Finance is looking to solve with a solution like ADRA? In some cases, they could have good processes around reconciliations and how they handle their balance sheets. Um, but they really don't have a task management solution. So, for example, our task manager is um, uh, something that is not only set up to um, help people create repeatable financial tasks on a period-by-period basis and assure that, that jobs are done if they're not done for you to be able to see what's the blocker, who's not getting that work done, what do we need to do to alleviate that um, and ensure we stay on time and on track, but they make for a great solve um, when it comes to audit time. Um, to be able to have the evidence and the controls of who checked off on what, what timeframes and that things were actually done. So um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's just a couple of examples. Are you looking for like engineers too? Are you guys hiring, looking for technology people? Yeah, so TrendCheck is, we're growing um, employee wise. Um, we're just over 500 employees today and we'll continue to grow that. Um, and so yeah, we're always looking for um, full stack engineers, front end engineers, uh, DevOps engineers, um, operators, uh, InfoSec types, but the company across the board. Um, and, and I think one of the really interesting things about TrendTech is we've got, we've built in as a part of the business, some really dynamic uh, training and career growth opportunity type uh, uh, programs that um, uh, allow people to, um, you know, build their career. So for example, um, one of my peers runs an APO program that literally um, we see anybody from kind of a high performance entry level type to somebody who might be coming out of the accounting world and has no SaaS software experience, be able to go through a program um, and learn how to be a product owner, which is just an integral part of, of any scrum team. Um, and we've got a, a, a really big program that, that helps people through that. Um, we do the same in the engineering side. Um, and, and we certainly have uh, structured approaches to marketing and sales, uh, customer success, and, and professional services and other areas of our business. So, yeah, great place to, to go uh, check that out is on the career section of our website. And uh, make sure to uh, get your name in the queue um, if you're looking to make a, make a career change. Is it like just in Texas or remote, global? Yeah, so we, uh, we, we tend to, to be co-located. Um, we, we're kind of a big in-the-office culture, um, and it really works out for the way that we collaborate. Um, we, we have a ton of fun in our offices, too, which is kind of an added bonus. We've got offices um, in the Baltimore area. Um, our headquarters is, is here in Dallas, Texas. It's actually in a little town called Addison, Texas. Um, we've got an office in London. We've got an office in Norway, one in Stockholm. Um, we've got a remote office in, uh, in Asia-Pac. Um, Australia, and uh, though we we don't necessarily have a work remote, work from home program, um, we do have a few employees that uh, um, do work from remote areas. Um, but all the locations that I've mentioned are great areas to live if you're looking for for a venue or geography change. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, there's we, we've got some we've got some great offices. I'm a fan of like Sweden, Malmo. I know it's like more south than, than Stockholm, but have you have you gotten to go over there? 
Yeah, so I've got I've got uh, um, direct reports in the Oslo office as well as um, okay. um, adjacent team members in uh, in Stockholm. Uh, the Scandinavian culture—it's fascinating. It, they're really cool places to visit. Yeah, yeah, it is so different. I I had uh, Ben from BEM Object on, and then we developed a friendship, and then I actually went over and and spoke and hung out with them for a week in Malmo and like Copenhagen area, like right across the bridge from each other. And getting to experience that culture, having never experienced anything other than the different cultures in the States was just, uh, it's so different. It's really cool though. They have their own like pros and cons, but it's like beautiful. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the, 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 the things that I love, and this is going to sound tactical, but the water out of the tap is just so good right? It's the kind of stuff you paid, you know, $3 a bottle for in the store uh, uh, here in the States that I just find myself just drinking water nonstop, right? It, it's, it's almost addictive. It's just so good. And you just go right to the tap and open up the faucet and put it in a glass glass and drink it. And uh, that's just, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. And the, the public spaces are all like clean and it's like a lot of people conjugate out in public. They're like, it's very friendly. It's, it's, um, it's awesome. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious though, uh, you know, you've got these offices, they're co-located, they're, they're around the world, but how do you as a leader of the technology, the, the divisions that you mentioned, how do you make those people like all feel connected, even though they're separate physically? Yeah. So um, I, I think one of the keys to the software business and developing software is to adopt um, a, a, a working protocol, if you would, in um, the software development space, um, you'll hear the words agile thrown around. We're actually a safe um, agile shop. Um, uh, at, at Trintech. And it's interesting when we acquired the Adra business, um, the Adra, Adra business was also an agile shop. They more gravitated towards what's kind of called a Spotify um, uh, a framework of agile. And ironically, it was invented by Spotify, um, publicized by Spotify, and that uh, came out of Norway as well. And so as a part of how we kind of, uh, of evolved our culture and, and, and what we're doing here today is actually blending some of those concepts into our safe framework. But regardless of whether someone's in the office, whether they're dialed in on a remote call, such as the one you and I are having, um, whether they're dialed in on an old school telephone call, um, or just trying to reply um, or, or interact with their peers on systems, chat, um, or, or um, uh, the various technologies that we use, everybody understands their role and everybody understands what they're responsible for on a daily um, I could use words like weekly and monthly, but we actually have different words in the agile space to, to refer to our sprints and our product increments. But everybody understands how that works. So when you bring somebody new on board, um, they're going to have an understanding of how that works generally. Um, but there are a ton of software shops that I've been exposed to, um, uh, been brought into that, that will say they're agile. And they're kind of agile, but not really. And here at Trentech, we really, really subscribe to those frameworks. And it's really cool to watch people work because um, it's like athletes lining up on a, on a basketball court on a football field. Everybody kind of knows their role um, and, and knows what they're responsible for. And it really takes a lot of the, it's called stress and confusion out of the working environment um, and, uh, um, you know, allows people to, to have confidence in what they do, allows us to get things done for our customers on time, on budget, and on quality, and uh, also allows us to have fun in the environment. And we have a ton of fun in this environment. Yeah, the common language thing is incredibly useful. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a must. Um, it really and truly is because if you if you aren't talking a common language and if you aren't marching to a set of plans and know how to pivot 
in the right way when you have to exercise the agile component of agile, um, you know, you can be back into to, to the waters of failed software projects and, and stressed software products and, 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 and quality issues and nobody wants to be there. So as we start to wrap up, I'm curious to know, like, how do you go about like mentoring your direct reports? So I'm a, I'm a, a believer in, in kind of learn by experience and it, and it might sound old school, but I actually spent um, some time with Gartner this past year. Um, an individual actually who kind of heads this up for Gartner, his name's Brent Castle. And we talked about what, what people today, whether they be, um, uh, uh, you know, um, newly graduates from college, people who are, uh, are, are kind of going through uh, the mid part of their career, or even people with more experience and, and, and are looking to grow, what really resonates with them. Um, and, and the concept that Gartner uses is called a brokered opportunity. And it's how do we work together and how do we take some of the business as usual or maybe some of the business is not usual task projects strategy work that come up and be able to um say hey you know every year i'll give you an example we go through budget um, at any software company and and the way that you budget in a software company is distinctly different than the way you would budget in a manufacturing company and there's a lot of evolution that the accounting um uh, um um industry um, has, has had over the past decade as we've gravitated towards SaaS software. And so how do you work with, um, you know, a, a really up and coming uh, direct report or even somebody who's a couple of clicks down that wants to be a part of that? How do you, how do you let them drive that budget process with your guidance? Um, how do you teach them some of the tricks of the trade and work with your finance department um, in terms of how we, we structure things and do things at the company? Um, and, and what we find is walking out of a experience like that, somebody not only learns a bunch, but they've also kind of earned a tick on their resume to say, yeah, I, I took a budget for an engineering department end to end. And uh, there was, there was uh, you know, there's, there, there's an accolade for you. Back to, there's a tool um, in uh, on the on the tool shelf that we kind of referred to um, in an earlier conversation in this interview. Yeah, the finance thing is a component that I've seen not a lot of people have, and that education and that experience is like, like absolutely critical. Like PNL responsibilities or, or budget, I call them PNL responsibilities, but that's just an invaluable progression in your career. Yeah, but I mean, I think it goes well beyond finance. You know, I'm a technologist at the end of the day, and I've had the fortune uh, of working for big companies. Um, that did things in, in ways that were good then. I've worked in the open source communities. I've uh, had a successful startup. Um, and so to be even be able, uh, you know, from a technology perspective and sit and, and work with somebody who maybe the majority of their career has been spent in commercial software and hasn't had much exposure to open source, to be able to introduce some of those concepts, um, the way things that, that, you know, that those things work, um, the way that we position things, um, or even introduce open source technologies and work with those um, is a lot of fun. And uh, I certainly enjoy that aspect. And I'm still very hands-on from a technical perspective. Um, uh, believe it or not, we'll, you'll, you'll find me uh, uh, from time to time in a bash shell. Um, they, they don't let me put anything in production anymore, but I certainly am uh, in dangerous enough to go, uh, go through the paces and have an uh, uh, engaging uh, conversation with uh, any of the technologists here at Trendtech, and then we'll let them polish it up and, and do something that is, uh, is production worthy. But uh, um, I think employees enjoy that. Let's, you know, let's get out the whiteboards, let's roll up the sleeves, let's hop into a shell, write a little pseudo code. Um, you know, let's explore uh, the challenges that we face and, and, uh, and solve them and solve them with technology. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the way I looked at it when I was 11 years old. And uh, you know, now that I just turned 50, I, I really haven't looked at it any differently. 
I love it. You like to get things done. You're, this is amazing. We did it. We made a podcast. And man, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and hanging out and talking about technology with me. Nah, not a problem. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a wonderful day. Yeah, thank you.